standard issue for all women. Hello and welcome to Sunday Chops. It's Hannah again. I know, they've let me go wild with the talking this weekend. Last week, on the hottest day of the year so far, Mick and I went to the beautifully air-conditioned Imperial War Museum in London to talk to Joe Wheeler, the author of a brilliant new book, The Hurricane Girls. And we had a great day. To be honest, Imperial War Museum, well worth a visit. Plus, picked up some great pictures of some uh, women at Greenham Common in the gift shop. Bonus. But back to that interview. Joe's book is about women who were in the ATA and flew planes during the Second World War. And as if talking to Joe wasn't exciting enough, we also spoke to Candy Adkins, whose mum, Jackie Moggridge, was one of those women. And in fact, was one of just five women to get her wings. Exciting. Anyway, we had a great time talking to them. So that's what this chops is. Just before you tuck into that, just to let you know, we have a second chop today. We can hear more of this kind of top quality waffling from me. But more importantly, you can hear Ruth Bratt from The Brilliant Showstopper talking about how on earth it is you improvise a musical. Well, how you do it well and loads of other things, including some great tips for some musicals that you might still be able to get a ticket for now and some ones that are arriving soon. So tuck into that as well. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. And speak soon. Mickey and I are here at the Imperial War Museum in London. Hello. With author Joe Wheeler. Hi. And Candy Atkins. Hello. Who you may recognise that we were talking about on our podcast a couple of weeks ago. We're here to talk about Hurricane Girls, which is Joe's book about the women who flew for the ATA. Olivia, who's sitting in the corner, careered me a copy of this book on Tuesday. It was delivered by a pensioner in Lycra. She didn't send any photos. (laughs) I'm going to pass this over to Jo to explain what that actually means. So the ATA, the Air Transport Auxiliary, was set up in 1939. Initially, it was men only, and they were ferrying planes basically for the RAF from factories, maintenance units to squadrons. Um, women weren't allowed in at that point, but they were eventually. And one of those women was Candy's mum. Yes, my mum was dying to get into the war, um, and she'd come over to Aeronautical College to learn to be a commercial pilot. She wanted to go as high as she could get. And while she was there, first year, before she took her exams, war broke out. So she wrote to her mum and said, war's broken out, I'm going to apply to fly uh, in the RAF. And her mum said, you've got to come home now. I've got you a place on a boat. She said, no, 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 I'm waiting. I'm so excited. And of course, then in her diary, I'm devastated. They don't take women in the RAF. So she joined the WAF, like many of the, many of the ladies did in Hurricane Girls before they got to the ATA. And your mum has a corking name, which we should probably mention. We should. Yeah. Jackie Moggridge. Yes. What a name. <laughs> You're not a Moggridge anymore. <laughs> no, no. My, we've got my father to thank for that, haven't we? Moggridge. Yeah, I suppose so. Is this something you always knew about? Is this something your mum talked about quite often? Yes, we did. Of course, we knew flying was her love, but they were, all the women, they, they were very sort of demure about their work. It was a job to them, and they loved it so much. It was then her career as well, so... It kept her away from us. My father was brilliant because he always said if he could do what she did, he, he would never stop her. So he was a man, really, before his time. Right. Before quite a lot of men's time who exist today, <laughs> yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. What brought you to this story, Joe? I've always been really interested in women who've been written out of history. It's just something that I'm fascinated by in different areas. I do work 
to do with women composers who've been neglected and other things. There were lots of kind of coincidental things that came up. It's 100 years of the RAF this year, which makes it very timely. And women seem to be in the air, I don't know. <laughs> women's history, people seem to be realising that women's stories have been written out quite easily. So for me, that's the kind of angle on it. I didn't know very much about aviation and that kind of thing at the beginning. I think you're right. It feels like there's something in the atmosphere that people are actually going to listen to the stories now that they're coming about. Yeah, I think so. I'm not really sure what it is, because for us it kind of feels like, well, yeah. But there does seem to be... People seem to be taking it more seriously now, and that's good. That's a good thing, I think. And it's particularly upsetting, because some women gave their lives, and it seems really offensive that they're not remembered. Yeah, I mean, 15 women, I think, lost their lives directly as pilots in the ATA. People died, and it is, it, it, they're often glamorised, and the, the heroics are shown, but it's actually a human story with tragedy, as many war stories are. But yeah, they need to be commemorated too. So, Actually, Joy Davidson, who is in the book as the first woman who died in, in the ATA, talking about a human story, there's something in here, in her letter that she wrote applying for the job. And it has the most amazing start to a letter. It says, here with the dope about me. <laughs> Was she a rapper? <laughs> what a great way to open That's any letter. That's how I'm going to greet everyone. That's incredible. <laughs> but obviously, how they're remembered is relatively contentious, even now. Candy, tell us a story. I mentioned it briefly on the podcast as our sexism of the week a few weeks ago in that you went to the RAF Museum in Hendon, I think it was. Yes, I did. Yeah. And um, oh, tell us they, what happened? Well, they, they've had um, amazing Spitfire Heroes poll done by the Telegraph, which was fab. My mother came up third on it, which was lovely because she was the only woman in the line of Spitfire Heroes. And they, they put a big a, a display up by a, a real Spitfire you could jump into. And they wanted to record some RAF stories and I'm, I don't know if you've seen them, but they're called rafstories.org. And you go on and there's many stories of all family members with their, their little stories about the war. I was going there to be filmed for that, which was great. I said, you know, shall I bring my mother's stuff to the museum to see if the museum wanted any of the records and stuff? Because as you can see, I've brought here, I've got lots of paperwork, her original uniform and her, her wings and her badges and her medals and... Um, and a sinister-looking dog. An interesting-looking dog. That has been knitted with her uniform on. He said, why have you brought all this stuff? And I said, well, because it's the 100 years of the RAF and I thought you were having a big exhibition and you might be interested in some of the stuff. And the, the gentleman said, um, no. He said, that's been organised for two years now. We won't be putting anything more in it, he said. So um, I was with my friend and she said, so, so what have you got about women in your exhibition? And he said, well, we've got some women dotted around here and there. So um, I was a bit disappointed, and he rushed me all off. However, the RAF stories are brilliant, because the lovely young lady who filmed me has put them up, and they're definitely worth looking at, and they're charming, and they are about different little stories during the war. So just to clear this up, because the historian Greg Jenner was attempting to tell several men of the world that your mum actually did get her wings. Yes, her full RAF wings. There was um, five of them only that got their RAF wings, and that's because after the ATA they joined the Women's Royal Air Force Volunteer Reserves. And so they were with the Air Royal Air Force, and 
Jean and its bird campaigned very hard to get onto the wings course to get her RAF wings. Then the four of them followed over a period of years, 49 to 53. Then they sort of stopped women getting their wings. And there was nothing written about this until in the paper in 1991, they did a big splash that said, first woman to get her wings, which was Julie Gibson. And I'm sure she wasn't aware. She wasn't the first, because why would she... Why would she not think? Yeah. Bernadette Willis wrote my, le- my letter to my mother and my mother's... Please um, tell me it started here with the dope of <laughs> Yes, if only, if only. I think it was, dear Jackie, have you seen this? It's not true, is it? We were the first. So they wrote, we, they wrote to their local papers and the papers looked it all up. It's all there. It is in the records, but it's never in the history books. Yeah, it's pretty shameful. There's lots of women in this book I'd like to talk about, but we obviously haven't got all afternoon. But there are a couple that I wanted to mention. And the first is Amy Johnson. Now, I mean, they say now, if you can see it, you can be it. And for a lot of the other women in this book, Amy Johnson was that person, wasn't she? Yeah, I mean, she was a household name and became one really quickly. She wanted to be a pilot and she wanted to be an engineer as well. They weren't allowed women in the maintenance hangars, but they let her in if they called her Johnny. (laughs) Somehow they just let her in. And then she became an engineer as well, and then obviously a pilot. But she wasn't taken that seriously yet, and then she thought, well, what should I do? And she said, "Okay, I'm going to fly to Australia on my own. (laughs) And that got some sort of press attention. And she did it, and then overnight, effectively, when she got back, she was a household name. So it's pretty impressive. But she met a very sad end during the war. Yeah, very, very, very hard winter, 1940 to 41. That's right, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> 1940 to 41. Why are you asking us, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> I probably read it more recently. You've read it, you read it more recently, though. People were flying. Your mother was flying that winter. Yes, it was very, very bad weather. And, of course, in fact, Mummy had been um, flying to Cardiff and Amy had flown in as well and they were both unable to fly for five days because the weather was so bad. Of course, Amy was Mummy's heroine, so she was much older than Mummy, and you can imagine, can't you? Amy even talking to Mummy was exciting. And um, Amy said, let's go shopping. So they went into Cardiff shopping, and Amy has a liking for silk, and they bought silk underwear, my mother said. And she'd always, my mother had always, yes, my mother had always, Cardiff, my mother had always had a liking for silk underwear after that. <laughs> and I know it's true, because when they were doing the Amy Johnson Memorial, luncheon and I was at that they were talking about her and they said she's always liked silk silk and silk underwear and I thought yes but of course this bad weather comes down and they're they're meant to fly below the cloud they're not allowed to fly above uh, because they had no um, radio and they are in contact with the ground, so the only way they could fly was with a map and a compass. No navigation services at all. Not and they, even Google Maps? No, <laughs> not even a sat-nav. And they I had, had to, to ring Mickey <laughs> to find my way here from London yeah. to Station. Yeah. And I had a panic <laughs> on the train, because I had no um, signal. And I thought, how am I going to find my way to the, the, the museum? Because I can't use my Google Maps. Here's a challenge for your listeners. You have one day where you have a compass and a map. Yes. Yes. Go about your normal and day. And no mobile phone. Yes, so they couldn't fly. They had to fly um, lower than the cloud. And of course, if the cloud comes down when you're flying, 
you you have to do something and you're not meant to go up you're meant to stay down um, but of course if it's really low they're worried about barrage balloons and anything like that and they were told not to fly that day and I think a- Amy was very much um, she felt invincible she'd done so much with her life and she felt that that was fine she'd still be able to manage yeah um, she said she'd smell her way to Kidley exactly. which was a great exactly. but, yeah and, that, and then there was it's a possibility that the compass was faulty, and there are lots of things... You're not sure. People aren't sure why, but she eventually drifted off course and ended up over the Thames estuary. And, yeah, she ended up... Um, her plane hit the water, and she was in the water. And they saw her alive yeah. in the water. They tried to rescue her, a mm-hmm. ship. Very um, brave captain of the boat jumped in. And, of course, he died as well, so trying to save her. Both were around. Have you got any cheery facts? <laughs> well, okay, let's let's talk about Pauline Gower, who is the, the, the other woman to talk about here, who oh, was cheery, yes. who is remarkable for a lot of reasons, not least because that she got parity of pay for her pilots. I'm not even sure it happens now, to be honest. No, I mean I think it's been in the news quite a lot recently, hasn't it, that that isn't always happening. Well, especially not in the BBC. (laughs) (laughs) But but no, I mean, without her, I don't think any of it would have happened. There probably wouldn't have even been women in the ATA, certainly not as early as there were. Yes, she was a real pioneer, and she was a real cause for women. She got the women into the ATA to accept women, and then she got the women then to allow, you know, little bit by little bit. Mm. First of all, it was just they were only allowed to do the... um, tiger moths and then when they showed they could fly those without crashing them they were allowed to go on to the the two engines yeah first of all they were could fly training fighter fighter training planes and then they were allowed to fly real operational Mm -hmm. hurricanes and spitfires and then bit by bit some of the women could then fly four engine bombers yeah. which were huge and only 11 <laughs> women got onto their class 5 yeah, aeroplanes exactly. one of which was my mother the reaction to this was somewhere between ridicule and objectification and outright hostility I know that Jackie has a quote in front of her which is quite incredible which came from the editor of is it Aviation Magazine? Aeroplane The Aeroplane Oh, the trouble is that so many women are insisting on wanting to do jobs which they're quite incapable of doing. The menace is the women who think she ought to be flying in a high-speed bomber when she really has not the intelligence to scrub the floor of a hospital properly, or who wants to nose around as an air raid warden and yet can't cook her husband's dinner. <laughs> I mean, where do we... That was CG Gray. It's incredible, isn't it? How do you think that Pauline herself reacted to stuff like this? Did she just let it go over her head? She was really pragmatic. She just kind of kept the line, we've got a job to do, we're doing our job, and we're doing it well. And I think that was the point, that they all made sure that they did it properly. And they were very... Ner- I mean, a lot of them were really nervous at the beginning because they had to prove more than, it, more than men did that they weren't going to make a mistake. Because everybody, if they made a single mistake, then they'd say, oh, you're a woman, you can't, obviously you can't. No, it would risk them all, they would have been kicked out. Yeah. They, to I help mean, each other, they had to stay, they had to keep the planes safe, otherwise they would never be allowed to fly them again, and they were terrified of that because they loved to be able to fly these planes. That's not changed as an attitude, though, has it? If one woman yeah. makes a mistake, well, we, we gave a woman a shot, so uh, that's you out exactly. for a bit now, birds. <laughs> yeah. Sauce. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and it happened at every stage. It happened when they first joined the ATA, 
Then it happened when they started flying hurricanes, Spitfires, four-engine bombers. So every time there was a yeah, every time there was a kind of was progress, they had to prove again and again and again. But they did. So and Pauline Gower thought that they had equal pay because they were flying the same planes as the men in the ATA, and she fought for that, and she got it, and she did it in a not in a burn your bra sort of way, in a very calm. I think was the only way to deal with. Yeah. Men at those days. Well, you can't, otherwise, you're a hysterical woman, yeah, aren't you? Exactly. Also, Candy, you don't want to fire in a cockpit. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to end very badly. <laughs> exactly. What was interesting about this is we have this idea that, that um, aviation, or certainly the, the golden days of aviation, it was, it was a rich man or woman's game. And this lovely idea that people could just, just buy a plane and take off into the sky. You didn't have to tell anyone you were going up there. Just I, do what I you like. Yeah. I'll later. <laughs> the war actually evened that out a bit, didn't it? It meant that more girls from sort of lower middle class and even working class backgrounds got to, got to go um, into yeah. the skies. Yeah, I mean, before the war, it was a very rare for somebody who didn't have a big disposable income to be able to fly because lessons were really expensive. And then you had to maintain those lessons in order to keep your license, and you had to have a plane, have to get a plane, or pay to you know go to one of the big clubs. So although there were a few people, like I mean, Amy Johnson's family were sort of upper middle class business people who'd made money. But yeah, when the war broke out, there was a thing called the Civil Air Guard, which gave cheap flying lessons to men and women because they sort of anticipated that they were probably going to need more, more pilots. pilots. Yeah. And so that was one way that a few women got in, and then. Gradually throughout the war, they needed more and more women to join the ATA as well. So yeah, it definitely wasn't even a, 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 in that sense. <laughs> My mother started flying because she she was told by her brothers um, that she was a sissy, and she had two younger brothers, but they were, grew to be six foot something, and they were just said, you know, you, you're just a sissy, and we don't want to play with you. And she just thought, I'm going to show you. And she saw an airplane going overhead, and she thought, I'm going to be a pilot. And it was just a brag. And then she had to follow it through. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, that's almost how I became a stand-up comedian. Is it? Yeah, yeah in that I just said, I'm going to do it, and everyone said, no, you won't. And I thought, I probably oh, have, I to have to now. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't stick out as long as your mum stuck at flying, though, to, to be fair. It was very much an international effort as well, wasn't it? I mean, you, your, your mum yeah, from South Africa. South Africa. Anna Lenska was... Poland, yeah. Chile, Chile. Oh, this is her nickname, Chile, but her real name. Yeah, was Margot, Margot de Hald. Yeah, she was from Chile. Was yeah. American, and, and Chile. That's a funny story with Chile. That she she couldn't speak English very well. She came over. She'd been flying uh, in Paris in the, uh, from Chile. She'd moved to Paris to fly, and then she came over to England. And um, the first plane, I think she flew, she she crash landed, but because she couldn't speak English, they picked her up, they interned her because they were foreign spies. (laughs) The ATA got her back out again, but then they thought, oh, better teach her English, and they shoved her in the hangars with the engineers to do a bit of engineering and pick up the English. I bet she doesn't swore like a tree. Absolutely swore like a tree. But my mum loved her. She always said Chile was such fun. After the war, you've got a four-page epilogue, made me cry twice in it, which is quite impressive. One was a story about your mum, and the other was what happened to Pauline Gower after the war. So maybe if we start with Joe about what happened with Pauline Gower after the war. Yeah, well, I mean, there was a lot of tragedy during the war, and she'd achieved so much at a relatively young age. I mean, she was still only in her late 20s when the ATA formed. 
And then the war ended, she got married. She then had two children and died, sadly, um, after, after they were born. But at 1997, she, she died. Yeah, yeah. Having twins. So that was quite tragic. But, I mean, hopefully this book and Candy talking about her mother's story and the whole thing will just keep her memory alive because she achieved an enormous... Yeah, life. incredible. Whereas your mum's story made me do a little happy cry because your, your, your mum went up in a Spitfire that she'd been in... 50 years 50 to years up. Yes, on, she'd flown this Spitfire on D-Day. It was on a little chip and take it from the factory to the aerodrome. And, of course, we all know D-Day is immensely important. Um, and she flew it to Johnny Halton, who actually is exactly the same age as her, and he shot down the first plane on D-Day. So this Spitfire was quite a little famous Spitfire. And it had been renovated by Carolyn Grace's husband, who sadly died in a car crash. And Carolyn had to learn to fly to carry on the dream and renovate this Spitfire and make it into dual cockpits. Because, of course, Spitfire was only one. She turned up at my mother's door one day and said, Oh! Jackie Mogridge, she said, um, in the Spitfire's logbook, because planes have a logbook and people have a logbook, you're the very first person to have flown my plane, the Grace, and I'm so thrilled because it was a woman who first flew my plane. And she said, would you like to come up with me 50 years to the day and we'll shoot it and we'll video it a bit. And I made a little film and she got Johnny Holton, who's still alive, there as well. And my mum flew the plane to the aerodrome exactly the same day at exactly the same time 50 years later and my mum had been a bit nervous of flying so she said um, I knew your mum would be nervous she said so I've I said I've dropped my map and your mum would have known that's really bad and a bit because there's no floor just falls through to where the, back, the end of the plane is and there's all pipes and so she said Jackie I've dropped my map have you got control and my mum immediately went I have control which is what they say in situations she said, that's it, then she was flying it. And she said, oh, my goodness. She said, your mum took it lower and faster than I would have ever dared. <laughs> it was like riding a bike. You never forget. Wow. Yeah, so... She, she did go up on a Spitfire again, didn't she, one, one last time? Yes, when she... After she died, I thought the loveliest thing, my sister and I thought, Let, let's send her ashes over an aerodrome. And I didn't mind, you know, what plane. And I rang Carolyn and I said, do you know anybody with a plane near me in Taunton and we can throw her ashes? over dunk as well she said candy you can't just chuck ashes at a plane it's airspace and you have to have permission <laughs> um, yeah and she said but don't worry i will do it i will get the permissions and i will come in the grace and i will do it for you oh. i was so amazed and she said i will do it for your mother because she, she loved to dearly and it's lovely. It, it was so lovely and i got to go up in it I got to go up in this Spitfire. She took me up the day before she did the ashes because she came to stay at uh, his dual things. And we got up there and she said, Candy, take over, um, just to have a go, you know, not to fly properly. She said, but try. And I thought, I've never, I don't fly. I've not been a pilot or had any lessons. I thought, oh, yes, but my mum used to play um, flight. She used to get into bed and say, come on, let's pretend the duvet's the clouds and let's fly a Spitfire. <laughs> And she'd say, hold the stick. She said, hold it. And we'd hold it. And she'd say, now turn right. She'd say, don't move it, don't move it. Just think that you want to turn right. And imperceptibly, it would just turn right. And then she said, and just, just think you want to turn left. And then she said, keep it straight, just level on the horizon. She said, you're balancing on a point of a needle, not like a car. You've got to balance every way. And she said, just think you want to line up with the horizon and keep it steady. 
So after those lessons in bed in the morning before school, I thought, I remember how to fly a Spitfire. And I did that. I just moved it and thought about going right. And you know what? It just went right. And then she she went, oh, right, turn left then, Carolyn said. So I went, okay. And I did the same. And it turned oh, my God, you're your mother's daughter. She said, (laughs) I thought, well, those lessons came in handy. (laughs) I always tell everyone the only plane I've ever flown is a Spitfire. (laughs) If any airlines are listening, Candy is available. (laughs) Only spare ships. (laughs) I was going to ask you whether the famous five stayed friends after the war. They were so spread out after the war. They did many different things. They? Some went yeah. back. Some, some, obviously not the famous five, but some went back and became housewives. The famous five all thought, no, 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 we, we've been trained as pilots. We want to carry on. And they've all got lovely, lovely lives afterwards. My mum kept very much in contact with Bernadetta Willis, and whenever she flew, she flew for Channel Airways, my mother, and ended up in the Isle of Wight a lot. Bernadetta was in the Isle of Wight. So she would fly in, have a cup of tea with Bernadetta. Then she, they had a little black London cab. They drove around to pick up all the, all the um, passengers. And then my mum would flit from the cab to the cockpit, you know, a little horrified. So actually, most of the time, she wasn't allowed to speak over the intercom because they said, well, the passengers will be nervous of a woman flying them. So this first officer would speak. Today, we have had some news, Joe, that the last of the women who were flying at the ATA actually died yesterday. It's the 26th of July. Yeah, I mean, I just heard the news this morning that Mary Ellis, who your mother knew... Well, yes, my mother passed away. taught her to taught. Well, my mother taught her to fly at the flying club. Gave her some lessons, and when I saw Mary quite often at the ATA reunions, she was always so kind about mother. She always said, "Oh, your mum taught me to fly." She said, and she was such a she was a very kind teacher. And I thought, oh, how lovely! And of course, Mary's so petite and so pretty. Yeah, and she was one of the pilots who learnt with relatively few hours. I think yes, when she joined when the she ATA, came in she didn't later, have that didn't many she? hours. No. Um, so later on in the war, they started taking women who'd with fought. fewer hours, and well, eventually with none. <laughs> yeah, essentially yeah. they trained them themselves as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah that is, that she is went on to run an incredible. airport. The of she was one hundred and two. One hundred and one. Good honour. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know it's difficult to ask this because obviously Candy's here. But do you have a favourite character in, in this book? Personally, the story that kind of got me was Irene Arkless, who was from Cumbria and she she was probably one of the ones who wouldn't have been able to fly before the war and she joined and then learned and then her fiance was also in the RAF and he was captured as a prisoner of war and he didn't want her to join the ATA because he was really nervous that he, that she was get injured or whatever but while he was captured she actually had joined and then sadly died so I know it's a tragic story but it was a proper love story as well yeah, so yeah well, a, there's a lot of tragedy yeah, in, there is in this. But there is also some quiet. <laughs> yeah, there's it's uplifting too. Oh, Mona Friedlander seemed a very sort oh, of yeah. oppressive character, would be the way to say it. Yeah, well, she was doing night flying before the war. A lot of the women, a lot of people, if they were doing any flying before they joined the ATA, it was often um, like target practice. They mm. used to have to fly planes mm. for the RAF to practice the tow kind of. They they tow the site. The they try. Yeah. Aim for. And she, yeah, she did taxi services as well, and they, they had to take children up who had whooping cough. Oh, I see. I read that. That's uh, that's a, one of these things that there was a point at yeah. which they believed that being in an aeroplane could could, yeah, could cure whooping cough. cough. <laughs> I don't think it was ever true. I'm not sure if that was actually that true. That sounds like science, doesn't it? Yeah, but she was one of the those women who just said, "I'm going to do it," and I think she was probably the only, if not the first, to join that taxi service, and it's pretty impressive. 
I think, I think, too, the fact that made me laugh in the book was the, um, the lack of um, services for women. So wherever they landed, they just, there wasn't a ladies. They could go to the... They had to go in the men's, you know, past all the urinals and the men pointing Percy at the porcelain, and it was it wasn't pleasant. And um, there was one one of the girls who Anna was, Lesko, yeah. that's it. Anna Lesko was squatting behind one of the hangers because it was preferable. It was preferable, really. <laughs> but then one of the girls said, "Well, what are you going to do? You know, if someone comes." And she said, "Darling, if the King of England walked by now, I couldn't stop." <laughs> <laughs> They weren't, they weren't allowed to eat in the mess no. for a lot of the time. Sometimes, yeah, they had to sit in this kind of ladies' room on their own and just have their lunch on their own. Was... What did they think was yeah. going to happen? Surely Percy was back in his pouch. <laughs> and also, they didn't have, you know, when they were flying for hours, up in the cold, it was cold, wasn't it? They were flying up yeah, in the cold. Yeah. They, they couldn't go to the loo. And my, whereas it was different for the men, my mum sat in a spitfire and looked around and saw a little funnel, funnel and went, oh, um, what's this? She said to the engineer. And in the end, he said, that's the gentleman pilots, madam. And, of course, the gentleman had a little funnel for the long flights. And the women had nothing. They just had to cross their legs. And not drink too much tea. And not drink too much tea. How did they deal with prejudice within... The, the rest of the RAS. Yes. Well, yes. Um, I mean, they did come across prejudice, um, and they were they were very good at it because they tended to just use humour to diffuse the situation. Uh, my mum was flying in with three other girls. It was a, the gaggle of girls, as they called them, when they flew together. Is that the collective name? It is a gaggle. They were called a gaggle. They flew in a gaggle. It's a proper term. That's amazing. Yeah, Pauline Gower used it. it. It wasn't derogatory in any way, but they landed, and um, one of the girls, it wasn't my mother's actually, but one of the girls, the plane was faulty and the flaps wouldn't work. So um, as they, they landed, the Commodore came over and very huffy and said... Um, <clears throat> What do you think you silly girls are doing? You didn't use your flaps when you came in. Oh, my mother looked at him. It wasn't her plane, but she looked at the other girl and she said, Flaps? What are those? And the other girl looked at him and took it on and said, Oh, you know, Jackie, it's that funny little red lever on the left. <laughs> and the, the chap with the Commodore went, I think they're joking with you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> and they did. They tended to just, you know, diffuse it, I'd yeah. say. Of course, there were funny situations where you, they weren't allowed to taxi planes on the grass or the mud. They were only allowed to take them on the actual runway because uh, on mud a plane would dip and, and smash and the ATA didn't want the insurance claim. So they said, if, you, if you're on mud, just make the engineer take it to the tarmac. My mother's got to a plane and it was you know, on the field miles from the thing. And so she said, can you taxi it to the strip? And he went, oh, yes, sure, that's here you are. And said, take my car and follow me, because it could be miles to the strip. And I went, oh, uh, thanks, but um, can you tell me all the knobs and whistles? Got? I've never um, driven a car. And he just cracked up and he said, well, you can fly all these wall planes, love, but you can't drive a car. But no, she was, you know, 18. No, she was 18. I didn't, who was going to give her driving lessons? Yeah. <laughs> she just, the war started. She was flying planes. They would quite often have to drop a plane, press with Nottingham, and then just make their own way back. Just just get changed four trains or whatever. Yeah, especially in the early days of the war, they they'd have to come all the way back from Scotland on trains during the war, which may or may not be running, which might be freezing cold. They may or may not get a seat. Sometimes they had to sit on their parachutes. Sometimes they even slept in the luggage racks. 
gradually they did start to have like taxi planes that would pick them up and collect them so they could do two or three deliveries or more in a day after that but yeah it's pretty gruelling at the beginning and sometimes they got a flight back not if they could manage it they'd try and get them a, a ferry there and a ferry back so that they'd be actually working both ways yeah um and sometimes they'd give lifts to other people or anyone who needed a lift any airman that needed a lift to get to another aerodrome um my mum was giving a lift um, to someone who jumped in the back of her plane it was a terrible terrible weather and she got up through the bad weather and they just managed to land you know before the fog came in and the commandant of the aerodrome came over to the bloke and said oh you know how was your flight back good to see you landed you know okay um and he went oh he said not only did you send me a schoolgirl to pick me up he said but on all that bad weather she was reading a novel and my mum went oh no no, no, I wasn't reading a book. This was my pilot's notes. I, I've never flown this plane before. And he looked very worried, but at least he'd landed by then. Wow. <laughs> reading it. <laughs> okay, what's this button do? Oh, oh, not that one. Oops. Wow. She, no, did, she did have a man who tried to get out. When she'd got him in the plane to give him a lift and saw it was a woman pilot, he tried to get out. So she quickly took off and then thought, <laughs> and then thought she'd actually make it, make it even worse by saying, oh, I've never flown this type of plane before. What uh, <laughs> a coward in the back. <laughs> jo, were these characters that you found it hard to say goodbye to when you finished the end of the book? Yeah, I mean, I definitely got attached to them. And, and in some ways, I kind of felt like there was more to say because there were loads of women that I couldn't tell their stories because there were nearly 150 women in the ATA. But yeah, I did get attached to them. And it was kind of nice just finding out a little bit about what happened to some of them, you know, in, later in life. What was lovely for me reading it, because obviously I got a little bit in advance, um, was that I, I read all the backstories of, of people my mum had spoken about and been with. And to my sister and I, both of us, we said, oh, that's really interesting because we know the names. We've heard of these people and now we know their backstories. And it was lovely. So if somebody doesn't read this, it transpires their aunt, their grandmother. Is Do either of you have a suggestion of where they go or would... But they can always come. I can yeah. always come through Penguin, who would pass them on. I'm quite happy for people to come and contact me if they've known Jackie Mogridge or they want to know more about the the ATA or these wonderful. Yeah, and that just for, for people who are curious to know more, there's a really good website called A Fleeting Peace, which a guy runs it called Terry Mace, and he was really helpful. Can I ask if that's peace? P E A C E. Yeah. yeah. And he's really amazing. He just, like, collates information about all of them. So if anyone had any more information that hasn't gone into this book, they could definitely contact him. Oh, yeah, and I've got another woman who runs Solon Aviatrix, and she's done the same. She's collected... You mean on that mm, side? Yes, yeah. she's collected the women, done little um, pages for each of the women that she's had information on. Um, and hopefully we'll get a documentary made for um, the famous five. Well, that sounds great. Well, I mean, I would advise anyone to read it because it is... You know, I'm going to give it to Mick, then it's going to go to my mum because, um, because they will love it. The it page is, is wet read. where you had a cry. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you can pull all these notes that I've made out of there. Thank you so much for both of your time. It's been fascinating. Pleasure. Thank you.